Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We cannot do the math on what we're going to be talking about now. My guests can. I can't. And uh, this is about a new book that's that's available through uh, Queen's University and McGill Press. So the book is Dirty Money, Financial Crime in Canada. And the authors and professors are Christian. I've got to say it right this time. I've got to pronounce this correctly. It's been driving me nuts for years. Christian Leuprecht, not Luprecht. Nicely done, Roy. I'm sorry, Christian. I apologize. Every time I thought I've got to say this correctly, but I anglicized it. But I just got back from Switzerland, so I can't do it to you. It's Christian Leuprecht. Good to talk to you. Good afternoon. Queen's University, Royal Military College. And Jamie Farrell, Charles Sturt University in Australia. And uh, uh, Professor Farrell, thank you very much for joining us. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much for having us on. Financial Crimes Investigator Instructor at the Graduate School of Policing and Security at Charles Sturt University in Canberra, Australia, formerly with the CBSA. And uh, we do know that uh, Christian Leiprecht, the uh, professor from Queens and RMC, has so many areas of expertise, national security. And this falls into the the, uh, realm of um, national security. So the book, let me just say this. Our guests write that lawmakers at every level of government in this country are disengaged from trying to intercede with national financial criminal activity, while police are too engaged with their own investigations to initiate new ones. So there's massive financial organized crime involved, and this massive financial organized crime has almost no chance of being discovered and uh, any discoverings leading to Prosecution. Christian, let me start with you. Uh, where do we start? This is, this is really, really alarming. And that's the aim of the book, to raise awareness and raise the level of public informed debate about this issue because it affects every Canadian here. Look, there's a recent Treasury Department estimate in the United States that some $113 billion were laundered in and through Canada just in the last year. Those are astounding amounts of money. Those are monies on which, by and large, tax is not being paid. Those are monies that are coming from everything from fentanyl transactions to human trafficking to human smuggling. And of course, much of it ends up, for instance, running through the Canadian real estate sector. So it's a major contribution to driving up the cost of living. But unfortunately, we have rather ineffective agencies in this country in order to contain the problem. We're highly attractive for international organized crime um, and uh, other malfeasance to run their money through the country. And we have very little political will um, to get a handle on it. Um, and the consequences are evident in the community and public safety of our streets. That's very scary. Professor Farrell, the, the, the words um, vast financial underworld are used. And please excuse my voice. I'm trying to get over this laryngitis. But the, the, ter- the words a vast financial underworld are used. And we're not talking just about a vast financial underworld contained within Canada, but it's a vast financial underworld, as I understand it, that in, is focused on Canada, but has international tentacles. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. There's 
these these financial crimes that we're talking about are inherently transnational in nature. It's not just a domestic problem, although it is having severe domestic consequences. These transnational criminals are operating with this real veil of secrecy because the crimes that they're committing and the way that they're covering them up are just so complex and so difficult to get ahead of. And like Christian was just talking about, that real inefficiency in our regime and our financial crime regime is adding to that. And it creates all of these weaknesses and loopholes that allows these criminals to continue operating. So we have the RCMP, we have provincial and municipal police, there's FinTrack, and we feel reasonably secure. Most of us as Canadians feel that, yeah, it'll be taken care of if there's, if, there's, if there's monetary financial crime taking place. It'll be intercepted, most of it, and it'll be taken care of. But that is not the case because the political arm in this country at all levels of government just are not interested it, it baffles the mind, Christian. You and I have talked about many, many things over the years. I still have trouble getting my head around how this continues, how this goes on, how governing parties continue and, and opposition parties don't uh, don't hold them accountable and it's not raised publicly. It, it's hugely, hugely, hugely disturbing and affects each and every one of us. Yeah, so look, uh, financial crime is probably the most complex crime um, out there. And so it is extremely difficult to investigate. It requires an extremely high level of skill set. We all know, for instance, the challenges that the RCMP faces um, simply kind of doing the everyday policing. You can imagine the challenges that they have with these vastly complex investigations. There's relatively oversight and insight into our police services on these investigations. When an investigation doesn't go anywhere, they just box it up and they put it aside. Uh, there's very little ability to see the value for money that Canadian taxpayers are getting in terms of the investments that they're making in these investigations. But look, if there's any doubt about the ineffectiveness of our agencies, um, Gary Clement, who stood up and ran the Integrated Proceeds of Crime uh, team for the RCMP in the 1990s, and who has his own recent book out, has a chapter in this book that lays out the ineffectiveness of the RCMP and how basically the RCMP just let uh, financial crime and capacities atrophy over the years. Um, and the, the Royal Commission on Money Laundering in British Columbia has laid out in detail the extent of the problem, the methods that are being used, the channels, the complicity by the professions, including accounting, um, members of the legal profession, members of the, of, uh, of the real estate community, um, and the unwillingness and inability, unwillingness by politicians and inability by our, our agencies to rein this in. So Canada... Um, we have all these international tentacles. Canada is a preferred destination because of what you just said. Other nations are doing a better job, I take it. Well, I think we're certainly emerging as a weak link uh, within certainly the allied and partner community of Western countries. There's a recent report that details the extent to which, for instance, Chinese triads are now using Canada in order to export fentanyl to Australia, of course, where uh, where where uh, where Dr. Fail resi resides. 
Um, but I think it's just that politicians have other priorities. This is hard for them to wrap their head around. Uh, same thing for much of the intelligence and the law enforcement community. And we have a great financial intelligence unit that is uh, set up in a way that makes it very difficult for them to share the intelligence that they have uh, or to engage in enforcement action. So in the end, there's lots that could be done. Uh, the question is um, uh, what we can learn from other countries is the willingness to do things. And Dr. Fail can talk about, for instance, about two of the four major banks in Australia being levied with billion-dollar fines. The largest fine that FinTrack has levied in this country is $7.7 million. Wow. Uh, tell us again, before we take a break, how much money has been involved in the last year or two? So uh, the Treasury Board, uh, the tre uh, so the Treasury Department in the U.S. has one estimate of about a total of 113 billion dollars. Uh, so uh, the the the, uh, uh, the the Royal Commission on Money Laundering, British Columbia, came up with a lower number. Nonetheless, the numbers are astounding. Uh, they are huge, and it uh, and they have detrimental effects uh, both for uh, communities in this country, for the cost of living in this country, um, and uh, uh, for our allies and partners, as well as, of course, uh, state capture around the world and entities that are funneling their dirty money through this country because the chances of getting caught are relatively minimal. And even if you do caught, the penalties are negligible. It, it's, it's staggering. Lawmakers in this country at every level of government are disengaged from trying to intercede national financial criminal activity and police too engaged with their own investigations to initiate new ones. Massive financial organized crime has almost no chance of being discovered leading to prosecutions in Canada. So, uh, P Professor Farrell, in, in, in Australia, things are somewhat different. Tell us about that, please. A little bit, yeah. I think there's a lot more accountability. Our, our regulator and financial intelligence unit, so the equivalent of FinTrack in Canada is OddsTrack here in Australia, and they have more of an enforcement arm alongside their intelligence unit and regulator capabilities. And they have more capabilities, again, in, in the sense that they can actually interrogate some of the reports that are coming into them from the regulated entities. So things like banks and uh, other financial institutions, for example. So there's a bit more uh, interest there in actually tackling some of that intelligence that's coming in and more feedback that goes back and forth. A huge weakness of FinTrack is that it's a largely reactive administration where these voluntary reports come in from the reporting entities and there's no real back and forth. They generally don't ask for more information and there isn't feedback given to those entities. Whereas over here in Australia, it's a little bit different in there is just more of that dialogue between the reporting entities. Now, not saying things here are perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Like Professor Leprecht said, it's we've had massive fines handed down to our biggest banks, two of our big four. One had over $700 million in fines handed down, the other over a billion dollars. But individuals still aren't being held accountable. People in these organizations that knew what was going on, that had the intelligence to tell them what was going on, some of them were linked back, some of these transactions were linked back to things like child sex exploitation. So when people are not being held accountable for this, companies essentially get fined and move on. So we know that the country, just like Canada, is awash with dirty money, but 
there seems to be a little bit more action here and, and really studying and, and doing comparative studies between the two, there is a bit more political will, a bit. And now that's not something you can really quantify, of course, mm-hmm. but the results do kind of speak for themselves in that there does seem to be more of a desire to clamp down on where this dirty money is coming from, who's really responsible for it, and equipping our law enforcement agencies to really go after it. Our, our border force over here, the Australian Federal Police, the Australian Taxation Office, they're all really equipped and they have specialized teams, specialized investigators to go after it. Whereas in Canada, we just haven't seen that same action really happen. Okay. So, so what you need is public engagement. You need public to be aware and make demands. Christian, we have about a minute. Um, what do Canadians have to know? What, what do we have to significantly consider the impact of this dirty money coursing through Canada, is on our lives. That we need to realize that this is not a victimless crime, that this is a crime that has a direct impact on the lives of everyday Canadians, uh, whether it's in terms of their of public safety or it's in terms of their cost of living. They also need to realize that ultimately, Agencies can only act within the frameworks and the mandates and the budgets that they are given by government, and that ultimately these are political questions and political priorities, and that governments in this country and politicians in this country have simply not made it a priority for a host of reasons. Um, And here's an opportunity for them to exercise more pressure and to realize that, for instance, when we're talking about things such as fentanyl, maybe we shouldn't just be talking about the consequence of what we're seeing on our streets. We should also be looking at the causes and the profit mode that's behind this, as well as the ability by adversarial states such as China to undermine our social fabric and our democratic institution using this type of financial crime as something that Canadians need to become much more aware of in order to be able to contain and combat it. We need to thank you for writing the book, Dirty Money, Financial Crime in Canada. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.